support from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. The President in primetime. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. President Biden speaks to the nation at 8 o'clock tonight about the war raging between Israel and Hamas. Israel's strikes on Gaza are only intensifying. According to the Palestinian Ministry of Health, over the past 24 hours, 678 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli strikes, mostly women and children. Correspondent MTS Tayyab in the war zone today. The president's promised $100 million in aid for Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. Former White House advisor Ari Fleischer. When he said that Israelis should not be consumed by rage, who does he think he is? Victor Davis Hansen with the Hoover Institution thinks the money we're sending to the Palestinians could be interpreted as a license to kill Israelis throughout the Arab world. It's really a morally bankrupt administration. I hate to say that because we all have to be stick together. This is much worse than 1980 with Jimmy Carter. You have a complete meltdown throughout the world. It's very dangerous. The former head of the Israeli Defense Forces said today it will take six to eight months for Israel to destroy Hamas. The ground war is still on pause, and the hostage situation has grown more desperate. John Roberts at Fox News. The other big question is, what is Hezbollah going to do? For the past 12 days, there's been harassing fire across the northern border into Israel. IDF forces were engaging with Hezbollah operatives again today. Texas Senator Ted Cruz says the $100 million we've pledged to the Palestinians will complicate the war, and the billions we've already given Iran has emboldened terrorists. We need to cut off the money to Iran. The Biden administration has flowed nearly $100 billion to Iran. Joe Biden and his administration is in a very real sense funding this attack. Egypt's president said today he will allow humanitarian aid into Gaza, but will not open the border, the so-called Rafah crossing. Chris Livesay at CBS News tells us why. It's worried that among those peaceful civilians, there could be some Hamas or terrorist elements there that would come into Egypt and stir up trouble here, but could also launch attacks on Israel, and that could welcome a return attack on Egyptian territory. Meantime, stateside, hundreds of Americans were arrested yesterday at the U.S. Capitol, protesting the war. They called themselves Jews for peace and were demanding a ceasefire. This woman explains why she took part in the civil unrest. Just to get the message to Congress that we shouldn't be part of this genocide and to, you know, make it clear that they don't speak for all Jewish people when they support the conflict. Others argue it's not a conflict, it's a war. 13 Americans among the 203 hostages that Hamas is holding in Gaza. On October 7th, they slaughtered 1,400 Israelis in southern Israel, sparking this two-week-old war. People can blame whoever they want, but now we have to concentrate, we have to focus. Public opinion is very important, but unfortunately, it's not the 
the time to win the public opinion. It's the time to win the war against the most brutal terrorist organization living today. Musab Yosef is the son of one of the founding members of Hamas. He became a Christian while in prison in Israel. Other news today, Republicans hope the third time's a charm as they try again today to seat a new House Speaker. Ohio's Jim Jordan has failed twice to win the job. He's fallen short twice of the 217 votes necessary. Texas Congressman Chip Roy is, in a word, frustrated. I'm going to stick with Jim as long as it takes. I'm not going anywhere. Correspondent Scott McFarland. There's not a single silver bullet he can fire and bring back 18 of these 22 defectors. And it feels like, in our conversations with them, these Republican holdouts, their opposition is bulletproof. Jim Jordan's supporter and Southern Tier Congressman Nick Langworthy says the Speaker's stalemate is an embarrassment for the GOP. We weren't sent here to have class president elections. We were sent here to do the work of the American people. We're not doing that right now. There is an effort underway on Capitol Hill that would grant emergency powers to the interim Speaker, Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, so the business of the House can resume in the absence of a permanent leader. More Americans are back at the office. Work from home rates have dropped to their lowest levels since the pandemic ended. The Census Bureau says fewer than 26% of U.S. households still have somebody working remotely at least one day a week. More layoffs in the car industry as the UAW strike drags on. Ford says it's laying off another 150 workers in Michigan because of the ongoing UAW strike. That brings the company's total of workers furloughed to 2,730. Ford says UAW's walkout last week at its Kentucky truck plant prompted the new layoffs at a Michigan Axle plant. Jennifer Kuyper reporting a hit for families in need of food. Here's Matt Bigler. Pop-up food pantries that started during the pandemic have been a godsend for seniors like Maureen. You go to the grocery store and everything's so expensive. But these distribution sites will close for good by the middle of 2025. Food Bank Executive Director Tannis Crosby says there's a significant amount of pandemic era funding that have gone away. Matt Bigler, San Francisco. A new study shows ultra-processed foods are just as addictive as nicotine, cocaine, or heroin. Reporter Aaron Rayall. A staggering 14% of adults are hooked on ultra-processed foods, or UPFs. UPFs include sausage, ice cream, soft drinks, and sugary cereals, and have been linked to cognitive decline, cancer, psychological distress, and even early death. Eating ultra-processed foods triggers a rush of dopamine followed by a sudden drop-off, resulting in an endless cycle of craving, getting a fix, and crashing just like someone addicted to alcohol or drugs. Actor Burt Young has died. You know him from his role in the first six Rocky movies. Hey, we don't keep our people behind a wall with machine guns. Who are you? Who am I? I'm the unsilent majority, Big Mouth. Young played Rocky Balboa's bombastic brother-in-law, Paulie, in the film franchise. You know, it's hard for me to say these kind of things because that ain't my way. But if I could just unzip myself and step out and be someone else, I want to be you. 
Young earned an Oscar nod for his role in the first Rocky movie. He appeared in over 160 films and TV shows over his 50-year acting career. Burt Young was 83. Still to come on the Noon Report, Wegmans in Manhattan. Hospital threatened strike and fighting food insecurity. Hi, I'm Kevin Williams calling for some rain to move in across the area later tonight and tomorrow. And the weekend weather looks less than stellar. We'll have forecast details up in 10. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. New York Governor Kathy Hochul in Jerusalem today after meeting with victims' families from the Hamas war yesterday near Tel Aviv. The governor showed up at a food pantry and spoke out about America's unwavering support of the Jewish state. New York State is home to the largest population of Jews outside of Israel anywhere in the world. Nurses at one Western Pennsylvania hospital are on the verge of a strike. Here's Family Life's Brian Query. More than 1,200 union nurses and nurse practitioners at Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh have voted to deliver notice of a potential strike to hospital ownership if their requests for raises are not met. Union officials say that raises are needed to address staff shortages and make other safety improvements for patients and nurses. A statement from Allegheny General Hospital said that good faith negotiations are continuing between the hospital and the union, and the hospital is confident an agreement will be reached that is fair and competitive. Brian Query, Family Life News. Rochester General Hospital in Western New York and its nurses union have reached a tentative deal on a new contract. What that means is that a five-day strike scheduled to begin on Monday has been averted. A mobile food truck is providing assistance to those in need in Bradford County, Pennsylvania. The pop-up pantry pulled up to a church yesterday in Sayre and handed out supplies. Dr. Frederick Bloom with Guthrie Health. Often Sometimes food insecurity is one of those things that's not obvious in the community. But there are a large number of patients, uh, people that live in our counties, that really have significant food insecurity. The pop-up pantry is the brainchild of Bailey Ruff, who says hunger is an issue we all need to be concerned with. If we can't solve it, we can at least help out, and whichever way we can, just to you know lift people up a little bit, I think that's the best thing we can do. This is the third year that the mobile food truck has been providing emergency food to impoverished people throughout the northern tier. With winter on the way, the Salvation Army in Elmira, New York's launched its annual Coats for Kids drive. Spokesperson Amber Burdick. We are collecting coats. Used coats can be taken to Castle Cleaners on Hoffman Street and they are going to clean them and send them to us. New coats can be dropped off here at Lake Street. And November 14th through 17th, we are doing a free coats for kids and adults. You can come into the pantry and go through all the coats that we have. The coat collection effort is a yearly service offered by the Salvation Army. First responders in Buffalo preparing for the possibility of another catastrophic storm this winter. FEMA officials hosted a four-hour seminar yesterday on how crews can respond more effectively to a blizzard like the one last year that killed 50 people people in and around the city of Buffalo. This was a very helpful exercise uh, for us in our community uh, to improve on how we will respond to extreme weather events in the future. Mayor Byron Brown explains how important communication is whenever bad weather strikes. Saying that this will be a life-threatening storm. If you go out you could die in this storm. So being very specific 
uh, with the language in terms of the weather condition that we are going to be dealing with so the public takes it seriously. The mayor says the Queen City will be releasing its snow plan for this winter very soon. The Utica Zoo in central New York reopened today after a worker was attacked by a lion this week. The zoo employee was bitten while attempting to feed the lion. She was not seriously hurt. The Pennsylvania Department of Transportation's chosen 33 high schoolers to be young ambassadors for the Keep Pennsylvania Beautiful campaign. Students applied to the program and were chosen through a competitive application process. From October through May of next year, officials will provide education and training to program participants on such topics related to the impacts of litter, litter prevention, waste management and recycling, civic engagement and related public policy. The goal is to see students become ambassadors for a shared vision of a clean and beautiful Pennsylvania. Terry Diener, Family Life News. Thank you, Terry. Rochester, New York-based Wegmans has opened up its first grocery store in Manhattan. The East Village store is over 87,000 square feet and includes a 94-seat seafood restaurant with a champagne oyster bar. It also has all of Wegmans' usual features, grass-fed beef, organic produce, and sourdough bread. What it doesn't have is parking. You're on your own for that. Sarah Lee Kessler, New York. All right, Sarah, thank you. Former Syracuse University men's basketball coach Jim Beheim is finalizing a deal to join ESPN for the upcoming basketball season. Beheim will also work for Westwood One as a radio analyst during the 2024 NCAA tournament. The Lions' New York native announced his retirement from Syracuse last season. Beheim was at the helm of his alma mater for 47 years. More sports next on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, it was as close to a must-win game as you could get, and the Houston Astros came through. Down 2-zip in their series against Texas and playing in the Rangers' home ballpark against a team that was unbeaten this postseason. The Strohs scored three times in the second inning and never looked back. The Rangers did try and come back, getting two home runs and four ribbies from Josh Young, but it was not enough. 8-5 to five the final game for tonight in Arlington. The Arizona D-backs also face a two-zip deficit in their series with the Philadelphia Phillies, but they at least get to play on their home turf tonight. Rookie Brandon Fought toes the rubber for the D-backs. The Phils counter with Ranger Suarez. One other baseball note, the finalist for the 2023 Gold Gloves has been announced, and a notable snub was the guy who's won 10 straight Gold Gloves at third base. Nolan Arenado skipped over this year. To hockey, the Penguins fell apart in the second period and gave up three goals in Detroit last night. The Red Wings breaking open a 1-1 tie after one and cruised to a 6-3 win. However, the Pens did score twice in the third to pull within the 4-3 before the Red Wings scored two of their own to win it 6-3. Evgeny Malkin, Brian Roos, and Eric Carlson, the goal scorers for the Pens. The one other game saw Ottawa dominate the Washington Capitals 
six to one. And in football, it looks like the commish is going to be sticking around a bit longer. Roger Goodell has agreed to a three-year contract extension that will run through March of 2027. Goodell has held that position since 2006. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Man, still to come on the Noon Report, a local pastor offering some spiritual answers to the war in the Middle East. Kevin Williams says we've got another wet weekend on the way. And at the end of the broadcast, a pig named Kevin Bacon. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Jesus of Nazareth is one of those rare historical figures that nearly everyone wants to claim. You might say that just as God made us in his image, people have returned the favor and now remake Jesus in our image. In the 19th and 20th centuries, it became academically popular to claim to know exactly what Jesus taught while assuming that the gospel accounts, especially the miraculous parts, were not true. An assumption that was simply taken for granted is that Jesus never claimed to be God. Though the scholarly world has largely progressed past these scholars and their so-called scholarship, Jesus is still reimagined today as something other than Christ by many people. He's embraced as a political avatar or a lifestyle coach or a role that he was definitely ill-suited for, that of a really good teacher. Christians know that there's more to the Jesus story than all this, but how do we respond to these false claims about him? Well, a new video in the What Would You Say series tackles this question and offers three points to keep in mind. First, the scriptures clearly tell us who Jesus was and who he claimed to be. People who reject that Jesus was God have to reject some of the things that the gospel writers claim about Jesus while accepting others. But how do we know which parts we can trust and which parts we should reject? Often, skeptics end up keeping those parts of the gospels that describe the kind of Jesus they want to accept and end up with a Jesus they've pieced together. In other words, skeptics can be guilty of what they are assuming about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not only is that inconsistent, but it ignores the fact that the gospel writers have provided a reliable account of the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. Not only are the books full of eyewitness accounts of his life and ministry, the authors had strong incentive to rightly preserve and pass on the details they contain, to dismiss the Gospels up front and assume that they could not possibly be reliable accounts means that we are left with no real sources about his life to conclude he was even a good teacher. Second, both the coming and the work of the Messiah were long ago foretold with prophetic details that were incredibly fulfilled by the life of Jesus Christ. In 700 BC, the prophet Micah predicted the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. The prophet Zechariah announced that the coming Savior would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Some psalms point to a crucifixion-like death centuries before this became a common means of execution under the Romans. Some skeptics claim that these prophecies were read back into the Old Testament by those in power in the early church. However, there are far too many details mentioned to be mere coincidence. The odds of one man's life matching so many of these predicted details would be astronomical. According to Professor Peter Stoner, the chance that any man fulfilled even eight prophecies is one in 100 quadrillion. Finally, the Gospels record the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' ministry, and one of the ways they confirm his identity as the Messiah is in recording the miracles that Jesus performed. 
In addition to the miraculous prophetic detail, Jesus performed miracles during his earthly ministry that were attested to by eyewitnesses and recorded in the scripture and history. Even his enemies who denied that he was the Messiah never disputed that Jesus of Nazareth performed miracles and wonders. In fact, after the crucifixion and resurrection, Peter, in the Pentecost sermon to the crowd in Jerusalem, reminded his audience that Jesus had fed 5,000 people, had restored sight to the blind, and had raised the dead to life. Peter claimed that all these miracles were done by Jesus in your midst. Look, Jesus didn't simply come to show us the way. He claimed to be the way, the only way to God. To see this video in our What Would You Say series and others like it, go to whatwouldyousay.org. For Breakpoint, I'm John Stone Street. For more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. Thank you, John. Another wet weekend on the way. Kevin Williams has got that forecast next. Kevin, what's going on out there? The afternoon is fine, dry, clouds, sun, and high temps in the mild 60s. But it will be cloudy tonight and tomorrow. Rain will reach areas near Lake Erie this evening. Then rain off and on will spread east into tomorrow. Low temperatures tonight, 50s. High temps tomorrow, uh, mid-50s to mid-60s. Saturday, some showers. Highs in the 50s. Sunday, blustery clouds, sun, lake effect rain showers, and highs in the 40s and 50s. Man. All right, been that kind of fall. Kevin, thank you. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Lots going on Thursday, the 19th of October. President Biden speaks to the nation at 8 o'clock tonight on the war between Israel and Hamas. It comes a day after his whirlwind seven-hour wartime visit to the Jewish state. Brooke Singman reports. During President Biden's visit to Israel, he pledged $100 million in humanitarian aid to Gaza and the West Bank following that deadly hospital blast that killed hundreds of people on Tuesday. This war was started on Saturday, October 7th, when Hamas slaughtered 1,400 Israelis in their homes in southern Israel. None of that seemed to matter, however, yesterday as hundreds of pro-Palestinian protesters were arrested at the U.S. Capitol demanding a ceasefire. In the Middle East, reporter Richard Engels says the bombing campaigns have intensified on both sides of the conflict. As soon as President Biden left Israel, Israeli strikes on the Gaza Strip intensified. Four hours after he was wheels up, the bombs were raining down. One, according to several witnesses, damaging a U.N. school turned into a refugee center in southern Gaza, where Palestinians were told to go for safety. Meantime, Hamas and Hezbollah continue to rain down rockets on Israel from both the north and the south. Iran's proxies also attacked U.S. military bases in Iraq and Syria overnight. Trey Yinkst with Fox News. The United States and Israel, they don't know where this is going to go, but they understand it could be a very violent future ahead. So what's the war like for those who are living it every day? Israeli-American Jacob Rosenblum knows. He's a 2017 graduate of Brighton High School in nearby Rochester, New York, and a reservist in the Israeli army living in Tel Aviv. Every day people are sleeping in their bomb shelters. There's no there's no escaping. There's no going outside. You know, we have a minute and 30 seconds, if I'm not wrong, in Tel Aviv. And in the south, once there's a siren, the missile's already hit. Hamas is holding over 200 hostages, including more than a dozen Americans in Gaza. Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman blasting members of his own party, the so-called squad in the House, for blaming Israel for that horrific bombing at the hospital in Gaza. Democrats Rashida Tlaib of Michigan and Ilhan Omar of Minnesota have put the bombing of the hospital in Gaza squarely on Israel. Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania posted, it's truly disturbing that members of Congress rush to blame Israel. He added, who would take the word of a group 
group that just massacred innocent Israeli civilians over our key ally. I'm Brian Shook. Pastor Dave Bretsch with the Beartown Road Alliance Church near Corning, New York, has some insights and analysis on the spiritual dimensions to this war. I spoke with him earlier today, and here's some of that conversation. Why is it so important for Christians to stay aware of what's happening in the Middle East right now? I think one of the reasons it's good to be informed is because there are about 47,000 Christian brothers and sisters living in Palestine, and 46,000 in the West Bank, only about 1,000 Christians in the Gaza Strip, and there are about 185,000 Christians living in Israel. So I think first and foremost, we should think and consider our, our Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East. I mean, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 6, 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so we've got family members in the Middle East who we should pray for, who are hurting, who are scared. If you're living in the region right now, you're scared. Mm. And when, when people are scared, they need comfort, they need prayer. It's also an opportunity for the tiny church of Israel and Palestine to be a blessing to the region. Yeah. You know, it's important to distinguish, too, when a lot of folks think about Israel, the state of Israel didn't exist till 1948. But this conflict that has been bubbling up since the beginning of time, this history between Jews and Arabs in what we refer to as the Holy Land, that goes back a long way. And a lot of folks don't know the story. But to understand what's happening right now, you've got to understand the root cause of this. If you don't mind, Pastor Dave, explain a little bit that ancient conflict between Jews and Arabs in the Middle East. Yeah, so you can read the Old Testament to discover where it all started. And then, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple by the Romans. And they came in and they scraped the temple off the Temple Mount. They killed or displaced or enslaved over a million Jews. Uh, it was what I call the first Holocaust. It was devastating. Yeah. Now, you fast forward to the early 1900s when Zionists or Jews said, you know, we have a right to the land. We're going to move back to the land. They emigrated back to the Holy Land to escape persecution. And then, of course, in 1947, after the Holocaust, the new state of Israel was formed. The UN defined its borders. And then in 1948, Israel defeated Palestine and extended the original borders defined by the UN. So all that to say is in 1948, Israel got a good chunk of their land back. Palestine was assigned the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And this was good for Israel. It gave them a sense of solidarity, protection, a refuge from persecution. It established a democracy in a tinderbox, what is hmm. the Middle East. But it wasn't so great for the hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who were literally evicted from their homes almost overnight. So that explains the conflict, right? There's always been conflict over this piece of real estate, hmm. and it has significantly escalated since 1948. And it's really bad in Gaza because you have this little 139 square miles densely populated water, fuel, electricity controlled by Israel, massive unemployment. Israel doesn't trust them, so they set up a blockade, and Hamas 
fought back, and that's what we had on October 7th, which yeah. the violence is extraordinary. That's that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Uh, many have referred to October 7th as Israel's 9-11. 1,400 yes. yes. civilians slaughtered in their homes, uh, 200 hostages taken back into Gaza, where Hamas kind of runs the show. But I think it's really right. important here that we distinguish between Hamas and the Palestinian people. What gave birth, Dave, to Hamas? And uh, they don't represent the Palestinian people, do they? Most of them, anyway. That's correct. So Hamas is an acronym in Arabic for the Islamic resistance movement. So they do rule the Gaza Strip, which is a population of just under 2 million people. And their goal is to destroy the Jewish state and to establish an Islamic society in Palestine. In 1997, we, the United States, labeled them a terrorist organization. Now, yeah. do they represent the majority of Palestine? No. I had the great privilege to spend some time in the West Bank a couple of years ago. We spent seven days in Ramallah, the capital of the West Bank. We spent time with several Palestinian families, both Christians and Muslims. Mm -hmm. We did a Bible camp for about 100 children. Most of them spoke English. And even the Muslim families allowed us to teach their children the Bible. You know, we had dinner in the homes of many Palestinian families. Mm -hmm. We went to church with about 30 Palestinian Christians, and we sing the same worship songs, and we laughed and enjoyed fellowship. And, and they were good people, certainly not subscribing to Hamas's violent approach to the conflict. Yeah. One of the more tragic narratives to this story is just how much more suffering the Palestinian people are going to endure because right. of what happened on October 7th. We've got Iran now, which is flexing its muscle, the world's largest sponsor of terrorism, which has funded much of what happens with the Hezbollah guerrillas in the north and also Hamas in Gaza. Are you concerned that this will widen into a regional war involving other actors like Iran? And how do Christ followers view this in terms of biblical prophecy? Yes, I think there's absolutely a concern, but I do stick to, to Christ and my Savior and Scripture. And, and, you know, this was predicted, Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus spoke of the end times, he said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And he predicted persecution, that many of you will be handed over and put to death, and many will turn away from the faith and hate and betray each other, and there will be false prophets who will deceive many, and because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So I know that God's number one priority in all of this is that the precious message of the gospel would be preached in the whole world. Hmm. And God God often uses tragedy to get people's attention, and so we need to pray first and foremost to the Christians in this region. They're in the line of fire, right, both from rockets and the flaming arrows of the evil one. The greatest tragedy in Israel today is that the very land where Jesus walked, taught, died, and rose again, less than 2% of its people follow Jesus, and the percentage is about the same for Palestinians, that the vast majority of the people living in those lands are not looking to Christ. Paul told us to do good to all people, especially the family of believers. And so we need to lift up our Christian brothers and sisters in this part of the world.
world that they can be the light of the world because we know that when things get darker, the brighter the light shines. That is Pastor Dave Bretsch with the Beartown Road Alliance Church near Corning, New York. And this is the Noon Report on Family Life. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. Well, on the weather map, we're tracking our next rainmaker that'll be coming in from the Midwest, poised to produce probably a decent amount of rainfall over the next several days, beginning later tonight and then continuing as showers through the weekend. Now, there will also be some chilly air with this feature that will arrive Sunday and early next week, possibly teeing up the first widespread frost of the season early next week. In the meantime, the afternoon is fine, dry, clouds, sun, and high temps in the mild 60s. But it will be cloudy tonight and tomorrow. Rain will reach areas near Lake Erie this evening. The rain off and on will spread east into tomorrow. Low temperatures tonight, 50s. High temps tomorrow, uh, mid-50s to mid-60s. Saturday, some showers. Highs in the 50s. Sunday, blustery clouds, sun, lake effect rain showers, and highs in the 40s and 50s. Thanks. All right, thanks for the update, Kevin. And finally at noon, a pig named Kevin Bacon went footloose and fancy free last weekend when he escaped from his barn, leading hundreds of amateur sleuths to comb the Pennsylvania countryside in search of him. The owners of Kevin, a 200-pound porker who's gray and covered in multiple dark spots, says he squeezed out of his barn in Gettysburg last Saturday. Now, despite his size, Kevin's been more than a bit elusive since he went on the lam. His family's documenting the search through a Facebook group called Bring Kevin Bacon Home, and they're asking neighbors with tongue-in-cheek sincerity to keep their eyes peeled. And that's the world we live in Thursday, October 19th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.